The information contained on this platform represents the opinion of the host and shall not be understood, construed as or a substitute for medical or health advice. Please see a health professional who is aware of the facts and circumstances of your individual situation. It's the Black Health 365 podcast, and we are here to make sure you look good on the outside and even better on the inside. After all, looking good, feeling good, and living a healthy lifestyle 365 days of the year should be a daily choice. Here at the Black Health 365 podcast, we will address the healthcare disparities within the Black community with trusted voices and information to empower a healthy lifestyle. Ain't that right, Britt? I'm talking about mind, body, and soul. What's good, 365ers? My name is Brett Daniels, your fit life coach, yogi, entrepreneur, co-host of Black Health 365. It is our mission to be champions of change by providing personalized healthcare information and resources for y'all throughout the year. We're here to empower y'all and the community to make better choices every single day of the year. And I'm here joined by my co-host, the beautiful. I was going to say, hey, 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 but I wanted you to finish what you were saying, so I stopped. (laughs) Let me finish. Hey, 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 everybody. Hi, 365ers. Jackie Page, radio personality. I want to say serial entrepreneur, but I'm not. I'm just stealing that for Brit. Um, Fitness enthusiast enthusiast we went over this a few weeks ago and it's is it enthusiast or is it enthusiast or whatever feels comfortable rolling off your tongue we from georgia we from the south (laughs) well i love fitness okay i'm a personal trainer zumba instructor boot camp instructor group fitness instructor um yeah and i'm happy to be back for another episode of the Black Health 365 podcast. Bro, how you doing? You okay? You know, we got to do those check-ins. I love these check-ins when we do them, Jackie. I'm doing phenomenal. I just got back from a meditation retreat in Tulum, Mexico. It was uh, beautiful. <laughs> I had a great time to sit and reflect because, you know, running my businesses, I have a lot to do. And so it was great to just be in a place of reception and receive versus give, give, give. What about you? What's going on with you down at ATL? No complaints. Um, I wish the weather would weather. And by that, I wish it would like decide what it wants to do. Some days it's cold. Other days it's hot. But no, for the most part, everything is pretty good. Um, No complaints. I am adjusting. And I can honestly say, and I'm so happy to be able to say this, I'm in a such better place than I was, uh, you know, pushing into 2023 and coming out of 2022. Um, So no, I'm good. I'm good. As your friend, I can't express enough, Jackie, how much I'm how grateful I am to hear that because I know the end of the year was rough, crucible um, for not only you, but for a lot of people. Yeah, that kind of leads into our Dharma Talk 365ers. Um, just a reminder, we do these Dharma Talks as little mini sermon just to set the tone for the conversation. And today's Dharma Talk is called Taking Space, a reminder to do something that makes you feel authentic. Something that makes you feel like your truest self. A lot of our lives, we're going through the rat race. We're working for people. What makes you feel like you? Close the doors. Turn off the phone. What makes you feel like you? I want you to tap into that, if you can, for the the next couple weeks. And that's real. That's real. Um, Which is one of the reasons why every time we start this podcast, every time we come on and say hey to each other, I like to check in because I think it's important that, like you said, we tap into our our authentic selves. And sometimes 
the best way to do that is just kind of just checking in on each other. One, you know, checking in on you, but then also when I'm checking in on you, that gives me an opportunity because I know you have to ask me. Um, it gives me an opportunity to check in and be authentic and real with myself. So come on, Dharma Talk. I'm here for it today. <laughs> and with that, Jackie, uh, I'm excited to check in with the community, the Black community, and, and, and talk more about, we've been having a lot of conversations about various ailments touching the Black community, particularly different types of cancer. And it's it's really unfortunate how much cancer is affecting the Black community. And just to give a, a recap, you know, cancer is a disease which affects the cells, uh, when they grow out of control and it's, you know, certain cancers can affect different parts of the body. And so today we're going to talk about, now let me make sure I'm pronouncing this right. Uterine cancer, Jackie? Is that, uterine cancer, right? yes, that is There correct. we go. Boom, boom, boom. Yes. <laughs> so I'm excited to speak with our very knowledgeable guests who can pronounce things much better than me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go from there. Yeah. Um, so we are talking about uterine cancer. Um, this will be a two-part series. Um, it is Women's History Month. And, you know, as we talk about Women's History Month and, you know, loving on ourselves as women and celebrating and empowering ourselves. Um, a part of that conversation is talking about our health and our wellness. So we thought it was very important this month to really uh, talk about uterine cancer um, and make sure that it is something that us as a community that we talk about and that we shed some light on because um, the reality is a lot more Black women then other races are having to deal with this and we have the platform and the opportunity to do something about it. So we are going to do something about that. So with that being said, I want to introduce, and I have talked to him a few million times before, absolutely love him, Dr. Lawrence Stitt. Dr. Stitt specializes in minimally invasive gynecologic surgery. Uh, he helps women with a wide range of gynecological conditions, including abnormal bleeding, fibroids, and endometriosis. Uh, Dr. Stitt, it is so great to talk to you again. It has been a while. How are you doing? Let's 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 do a check-in because it's been a while since we've talked. You know, Jackie, thank you very much for that introduction. You know, I'm, I'm blessed and highly favored. You know, I woke up this morning feeling good with the work and I enjoyed my day. I love doing what I'm doing, educating, sharing my knowledge with folks and trying to help folks. Um, I am doing wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. I couldn't ask for more. I think if I did, I'd be greedy. <laughs> Glad to hear that you are doing great. That's always um, an amazing thing to hear, especially when it's been a while since you've talked to somebody. Um, you know, as me and Britt kind of said earlier, it is Women's History Month, and we want to make sure that we really empower women, not only from the standpoint of like, yes, we are amazing, but also talking about our health and our wellness, because that is a part of, you know, us just being great in and of who we are. So today I want to talk about uterine cancer and exactly what it is, how it's caused, all that type of stuff. Um, 365ers. And before we start asking questions about uh, uterine cancer, um, I will say Dr. Stitt has been um, a phenomenal asset in my personal life. Um, my family has a history of fibroids. And before meeting Dr. Stitt, I'm going to be completely honest, was super afraid to have those conversations with the doctor, didn't know the conversations to have, um, was afraid that that may be something that I may deal with. A lot of questions. And Dr. Stitt um, 
was there and still continues to be here um, to answer questions for me. Thankfully, I do not have fibroids, but um, I can say that because of the conversations that me and Dr. Stitt have been able to um, openly have. So just kind of wanted to throw that out there that, you know, Dr. Stitt is great at what he does. So Dr. Stitt, let's go ahead and get into this. Um, uterine cancer, what exactly is it? So cancer, by definition, you know, is cells that are growing abnormally, wherever they show up. Sometimes they show up in the uterus, sometimes they show up in the ovaries, sometimes they show up in the cervix, the gynecological organs. That's the organ that I specialize in. So I see cancers in those areas. But of course, we all know folks who may have had lung cancer, colon cancer. I even have a cousin that has brain cancer. So these cancers are cells that grow uncontrollably in a certain area. And if they continue, the cancers can spread throughout the entire body. And that's called metastasis, when cancer spreads from one area to another, and that can be devastating for an individual and a family and a community. Me and you have personally talked about like, you know, my family history with fibroids and, you know, my nerves around that. What are the causes of uterine cancer? Because we've talked about, again, fibroids. Um, Can fibroids, can endometriosis, can all of that stuff, uterine cancer? You know, the thing about uterine cancer is very, very specific. Fibroids don't cause uterine cancer unless you have a really specific kind of fibroid. It's a big name, leomyosarcoma. All it means is a a fibroid that has cancer in it. Less than 0.1% of the time that we see those types of cancers. It's very, 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 very rare. Um, Other things that could potentially be seen as cancer, specifically in uterine cancer, some of the risks, some of the things that can cause you to have it are never having a baby, you know, going through your life and actually never having a baby. That can put you at increased risk. Um, the older you get, your age puts you at increased risk for most cancers. Obesity. One of the things that I see that I teach patients when they come in for treatment for fibroids or pap smears or whatever they happen to come in to talk about, that is my stage. Really to not just talk about your issue, but really to educate you on your health. So one of the things that I talk about is obesity, which leads to diabetes, which leads to hypertension. And all these factors increase a woman's risk for ovarian cancer. But you mentioned something earlier, Jack. You mentioned talking to your family about what's going on with them. And they don't even have fibroids, but you are still a spokesperson for health for a Black woman. Just having that conversation. Mama, did my auntie have cancer? Did my grandmama have cancer? Did anybody have cancer in our family? You know, cancer is one of those things in the Black community that we don't talk about. We don't talk about it. I don't know why we don't talk about it, but I'm here to ask everyone who has a listening ear to talk about it. Because if someone in the family has cancer, some cancers have a genetic predisposition, meaning if if somebody in your family got it, you can inherit that. Just like you inherit your beautiful skin, your beautiful teeth, you can inherit a gene that tells your cells to grow out of control. So a family history of cancer can also be something that can put you at increased risk. So I got two, uh, go ahead, Britt, because I got like 14 million questions. Britt, go ahead. I got 14 million at this point. Doctor, um, perhaps a preliminary question. Um, how do people get screened for cancer? Like, say, I just want to go to the doctor and, hey, doc, I just want to get a full body check. Do I got cancer in my body? Like, what does that process look like? Does something have to be wrong for you to get screened? Well, we can talk about it. So it's two types of screening that can be done, right? One is 
I got something wrong. This is happening. I don't know if I have cancer. Can you take a look at this thing that's going on and fix it? The other type is, hey, I talked to my folks and my auntie had cancer and I need to know if I'm at risk. So depending upon, let's talk the, about the genetic part, the part that you inherit from your family. If somebody in your family had cancer, there are tests that can be done to see if you will have cancer in the future. Not to see if you have cancer currently, but to see if you're at risk for having cancer in the future. So that's a blood test that you can do. Also, for women, there's certain signs that something just ain't right. Like if you come in and there's bleeding and pain that won't go away when it's supposed to, and you're, an, you're, you're older than 40 or older than 50, and this shouldn't be happening. There's certain tests that we do. One of the tests that we do in my office is called an endometrial biopsy. Big word for just saying we go inside and just take a little pinch of tissue and take a look at it under a microscope. This tissue comes from the inside of the uterus, the area where a baby will grow. So we take that tissue, look at it under the microscope and see if it's normal. If it's normal, then we you know, tell you, maybe we recommend X, Y, and Z. If it's not normal, then we may recommend another path for you. But it's one of the things we do to determine whether or not someone has cancer. And that's just do a small sample, whether it happens in the office with a biopsy or in the hospital with this term DNC, dilation and keratides. Everybody talks about DNCs. It's just when you go to sleep and they do the sampling. So those are the tests that we can do to evaluate a woman that she has uterine cancer. So is uterine cancer... Is it a a hereditary thing? If my mom has it or if my grandmother has it, does that mean that I'm going to get it? Or does, I know it increases my chances, but is it kind of like one of those, like the fibroid situation of like, if, you know, it's it's running down the line, it's destined to hit me at some point in time. <laughs> fibroids is a little bit more common than cancer. With fibroids, just a step away for a minute, eight out of 10 Black women by the time they turn age 50 are going to have fibroids, period. Statistics show that, the numbers out there, studies have been done, and that's what happens. Cancer, not so common, right? So if somebody in your family had cancer and they had a particular type, there's this, actually, there's this cancer syndrome called Lynch syndrome. And it's just the name that they gave this syndrome. It means if you have anybody in your family that has colon cancer and endometrial cancer, that increases your chances of having either one of those or both. But it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get it. It just means that you need to be evaluated. Because if you're evaluated and you have information in your DNA that says that you might get it, you may be someone that says, I don't want to get it. Let's make sure I don't. It's something I tell my patients every day. I say, listen, you will never get cancer of your sixth toe. You only got five. If you take it out, you're not going to get cancer in it. But if you have an organ that may put you at increased risk for developing a cancer. It's important to think about what your future is and what you need to do about that. And you mentioned that women who don't have a child are at higher risk. Why is that? Pregnancy is a state that causes certain changes to take place in the uterus. It causes bleeding to occur. It causes certain changes to take place that allow abnormal cells to come off the uterus to come off the uterus. And that is one proposed mechanism of decreasing the risk of cancer. There, there are several that are out there, but we do know when you look at women who have developed endometrial cancer, majority of women are women who have never had babies, who have these risks, who are obese. And the thing about it is, 
when we talk about obesity, this this goes not just with this cancer discussion, but let's talk real quick, obesity. Obesity is a state where you have a whole bunch of fat cells in your body. Fat cells store estrogen. It's a female hormone. And if you have more estrogen in your body, Jackie, we talked about this before, it makes fibroids grow more. You have more estrogen in your body, it can cause you to have greater risk of cancer. So this is how obesity plays a role in addition to diabetes. There are a lot of folks who are diabetic and obese. So combining these two risk factors and decreasing them could substantially decrease your chances of developing uterine cancer. Britt, you got any questions? Because I got about eight more. Like <laughs> Real quick. <laughs> yes, particularly with uterine cancer, doctor, what are some, some warning symptoms and what are some advanced symptoms with someone who hasn't gotten care, particularly for uterine cancer? You know, it's 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 interesting because I see patients from 35 years old up to, I had a patient that was 80 that came to see me the other day. And the symptoms don't change much. You said minor symptoms versus advanced symptoms. So I had a patient who came to see me. She was 37 years old. And all she had was abnormal bleeding. She had a period, had some spotting between her next period, had her next period. And for some reason, she kept bleeding twice a month and she didn't know why. She came into the office. I did a study, a biopsy. Lo and behold, she had some abnormal cells there. And that could just be a minor sign that there's some abnormal bleeding and she had risk factors. She was obese. She had elevated blood pressure. These are risk factors for cancer of the uterus. Now, advanced factors, Patients, women who come in, who've gone through menopause, they got to that point, they said, I'm done with the bleeding, it's over, I ain't got to do this no more. And then lo and behold, they start having periods again. Like, what is going on? Why am I bleeding? I had to go see the doctor. They come in, we do that biopsy, and we find out that those cells that are growing out of control are causing bleeding to occur again. And that's a more advanced stage of, of cancer. So this may be a very, like, elementary question um no such thing <laughs> okay so you said because and we've had conversations about fibroids before so yep. when i and i think it, to me i feel like it's important to kind of clear this up because in my head you know if i have abnormal bleeding or if i have pain or something like that my first train of thought is okay it may be fibroids at what point in time do I see you? At what point in time do I see my 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 primary care physician? Like, or is this a conversation that starts with the primary care physician and then goes to you? Like, what what's the process? Because in my again, in my head, it's just like, okay, well, this may be fibroids, and I know one of the things that we as Black women don't do, or as a race, we don't do, is we don't advocate for ourselves. Um, so how do we? How do I advocate for myself in, in this particular space? First, first, I would say, you know, paying attention to your health is, 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 is the most important thing you can do. And educating yourself about your health is what you do every year when you go in for an annual exam. Let's start there. That has already created a relationship with you and a healthcare provider. You don't have to see me. You don't have to see your primary care. You need to see a provider. A provider can get you to someone who can help you if they can. So a lot of primary care docs don't do what I do, but they know where I am. A lot of folks use me as their primary doc. I'm like, I don't do like lungs and hearts and stuff. I do female parts, but I know who does. And I get them over to someone that can take care of them. So I guess the key and the answer to your question, Jackie, is 
where do you start? You start at the place where you can go and see your healthcare provider, meet them where they are, and don't worry about finding someone that is a specialist and does this and that until you receive a diagnosis. And if, unfortunately, you receive that diagnosis, your provider can guide you towards someone who provides the type of care that you need. Dancing crew, trip for two, nail the final interview. Game with Doug, brand new mug. Come here, kid, give me a hug. The more you want to do, the more we want to do. New COVID-19 boosters designed for recent Omicron variants are now available. Learn about eligibility and schedule a free updated booster today at vaccines.gov. Sponsored by Pfizer and BioNTech. Doctor, we have a lot of distrust with, and I, <laughs> I say this respectfully, with doctors in the Black community. And I love how you said it's important that you educate yourself, but I believe that helps you inform the conversations that you have with your providers. Um, when it comes to asking about cancer, uterine cancer in particular, are there questions that you would encourage patients to ask when they start that process? Yes. I, you know, there's a, let me go back to this distrust thing. And it's legit, it's real. Studies have been done and it's shown that women specifically tend to die more than any other race of women when they're not treated by black health care providers. This is a statistic. I'm not making this up. You can Google it today and it's there. So the mistrust is there. And how do you get around that? How do you change that cultural thought about how do I trust this person with my life? Well, asking questions, creating that relationship that I mentioned, seeing your health care provider. But, you know, when you ask how do you evaluate me for cancer? How do I know what to look for? You just have to have the conversation. You know, a lot of patients come see me, they come see me not without any information. They come see me not without talking to anybody. They see Dr. Google, you know, and this is 2023. You got access at your fingertips on your phone to TikTok, to IG, to Twitter. Why don't we get access to what about me? Why don't we get access to what is this doing to me? Because everybody that comes to see me, who has abnormal bleeding, they are scared they have cancer. And they don't know what to do because they read about it. So again, you mentioned it, you hit it. Being an advocate for yourself, number one, looking up and not having the courage to step out there and say, let me see what's going on with me. Let me talk to somebody about it. The questions will come up as you are talking. It is our job as healthcare providers to ask the appropriate questions to determine what's going on. But we can't do nothing unless you walk through the door. For 365er that's listening right now and they're afraid of hearing the cancer diagnosis, which is preventing them from going to the doctor, to any doctor, what advice or, you know, what information would you give them as far as, hey, like, make that first step? Because I know that's one of the things that a lot of people, they're afraid of. They don't want to hear cancer. Yeah. A lot of people feel like, oh, if I get cancer, I'm going to die. Like, I feel like it can, like, what are the success rates with dealing with something like this? So when you talk about cancer, you know, I specialize in the, in the female genital tract, gynecology, right? So when you talk about the cancers, I'm just going to focus on mine. Uh, you talk about ovarian, cervical, uterine, right? Uterine has the best prognosis out of all of the cancers. We're talking about uterine cancer, right? We're talking about all these risk factors. Uterine cancer is a type of cancer 
where you can have surgery and have everything removed. And that's it. It's gone. You don't have to necessarily have chemotherapy. You don't necessarily have to have a shortened life expectancy. If you take advantage of these opportunities that we talked about when we mentioned being an advocate for yourself, having the courage to walk in and being diagnosed early. So there, there are many opportunities uh, for patients to, to, to get that question answered. Secondly, after thinking about yourself, I think it's important to think about who is around you, to think about your family. You know, I, I, I think about this every time I have to go get my checkup. I am at an age and y'all will get there too where you got to have a colonoscopy. And I'm thinking, oh my God, how am I going to go through this colonoscopy? I ain't never done this before. It's going to drive me crazy. Then I look at my 14-year-old daughter and I look at the time that I want to spend with her. And that kind of pushes me to say, it's not just for me. It's for my baby girl or it's for my wife or it's for, it's for my father, my brother. It's for my whole community. And it's important for me to get there and take care of myself. So it's 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 twofold for me. It's your whole your own individual desire to know about your own health, but you also gotta look at how the decisions that you make affect other people. And speaking of affecting other people, how does uterine cancer affect spouses? Does it how does it affect, you know, sex life? Um, I, I think that's a really important question to tackle because that may be another reason why you know, somebody doesn't want to go in and, and get that diagnosis. Well, I'll, I'll tell you, it, it affects anything that affects uh, a partner in any type of relationship uh, where it's a committed relationship and 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 you care and love some about someone. It's going to affect the opposite partner as well, no matter what happens. So it can be devastating uh, for for a couple. But what what I would say is, how does it affect sex? Well, I, I'll tell you. If you have uterine cancer and you have the symptoms and you're not doing anything about it, unless you, you know, really want to be involved with blood everywhere all the time, you're not going to have a lot of sex. My patients don't don't do that. They say, "Listen, I'm bleeding all the time, doc. I can't never have sex. I can't do all this stuff. Can you please fix me?" That symptom of having bleeding when you're not supposed to have it can really interfere with a woman's sex life. Now. After you have a diagnosis of cancer, and if it is the type at which you can have surgery to have everything removed, it doesn't affect sex life after that. It's that's it. Your sex life continues. If you have to have the ovaries removed as well, in some cases, right, it may affect the sex drive. It may cause you to have hot flashes. But another thing that it will do is going to allow you to be around here longer. It's going to extend your life if you have the surgery. So risks, benefits, pros and cons, I want to be around. I want to see things. So you have to look at it, I guess, from that perspective and be willing to go in. And again, that courage is key to be evaluated. Love that. Doctor, I want to ask you a unique question. Um, going back to risk factors, uh, a recent study found that women who reported frequent use of hair straightening products we're at a higher risk of developing uterine cancer than women who did not use those type of products. Have you heard of this? Do you have any thoughts on it? Actually, I have read that study. I, I, you know, I, I see the attorneys on TV in the morning asking women to call if they've had any issues. Uh, I've read the study. It's a study done from the National Institutes of Health, uh, and it looked at 
women who had not only hair straightening, but dyes and, and um, perms and all this. And I looked at the ingredients, you know, some of the ingredients in some of the hair straightening products are, are serious stuff. Formaldehyde. We use formaldehyde for a lot of stuff. But in medicine, we use it a lot for embalming bodies. You know? Stop it. What? Yeah. That's, that, that is what we use in, for embalming fluid. Um, that's some serious stuff. And what one of the studies suggests, or these studies suggest, is that putting this caustic chemical in your hair could possibly cause it to be absorbed in your skin and possibly cause changes to occur in your uterus and even other parts of your body. So the study does show a relationship. It does not suggest causation, meaning if you use hair screening products, you're going to get cancer. No, that's not what the study says. It says that they saw a relationship between women who had used hair straightening products and were subsequently developing uterine cancer. So it's something to definitely look at. This is the only study that I found that has been so specific. I think there needs to be more evaluation done on this topic. I think we need to do more research. And if we find that study after study after study is showing that, hey, using hair straightening products is gonna cause you to have uterine cancer, I think we have some conversations that we need to have. But just the relationship is enough to make you say, hey, you think about going natural? Maybe you should. Because when you when, when you think about, you know, who uses the stuff? Who uses hair straightening the stuff? We do. And even if there's, you know, even if it affects everybody a little bit across the board, all races, and we use it all the time, to me, that means that that's probably going to increase your risk. So, again, we can wait until the studies come out. I think the studies need to be done. So if there is a true causation, we need to be on top of that and educate our folks. But I, listen, if there is a relationship that's there, I'd rather not find out 10 years that it was right. I would rather find out now and kind of make some changes, if at all possible. So this is a real question. And I I, I want to get your honest like thoughts and opinions on it. Um, you know, a study was done. And you just said multiple studies need to be done. And I, I, I completely agree because like you say it, who, who using that the most? Us, we yes. do, our people. Being in reality, being realistic, do you think that more studies will happen? I think they will. I think they will. Um, the young lady who was the principal investigator in this study I, I, I take my hat off to her for looking at this, but you know, it's not just uterine cancer and hair straightening products. They're also looking at breast cancer, ovarian cancer. They're looking at all of these gynecological cancers in women. I think that we need folks in the field who look like us, who have family that look like us, who think like us to get out there and push the envelope. Um, this particular woman, she's, I believe a woman from um, and she, has done a wonderful job and is on the ball. I mean, to bring this up when people aren't looking at it, I think it's, it's phenomenal. But I really do believe that we need folks who are dedicated to following this up. Because I heard about this 20 years ago. Well, you know, back in the day when I was in college, we were doing 
research with electron microscopes trying to figure out if, you know, Jericho's making you go get cancer back in the day. Y'all don't know about this. This is the process that people had on their hair a long time ago. You grabbed hair. But these jerry curls were causing problems with skin irritation and, and skin cancer. And this is, it's taken this amount of time to come back, Jackie. I am hopeful that this will continue. The National Institutes of Health is an organization that not just puts stuff out and lets it go. They tend to follow it. And I'm happy you said that because I think as, you know, this is the Black Health 365 podcast. So, you know, we're talking about issues and disparities that affect our community. Um, you know, things happening for us, research happening for us is one of those things that takes a while. So, um, you know, I'm happy to hear that, you know, you're saying that you do think that it will be a topic that will continue to uh, to arise. And it's not just a one-off type of situation. No, I, I think this will continue. Um, just, you know, I, I use the parallel with, with my, my whole focus on fibroids. Fibroids have been around since 1850s. And we've been doing hysterectomies and taking out the whole womb since the 1850s. And now, you know, we're, there's a big push. Um, education is key. Reducing disparities is important. So everything that affects a community that suffers from healthcare disparities is being focused on now in 2023. So now's your opportunity to get out there with your podcast, get out there talking to people and see if we can make an impact. Happy to see all this research is being done and you have hopes that more research will be done. Interesting question, and I'm not sure if there's an answer to this. Is more, do you see there being more technological advances to help detect and help with treatment when it comes to this type of cancer or cancer in general? I think I think there are studies being done. There's research being done at a number of institutes throughout the country to take care of this question of how do we cure cancer? You know, we've been trying to cure cancer since we've known about cancer and the technological advances are important. I wish they could move as fast as the cancers do, but I think we still have work to do on that. There are a lot of monies that are being dedicated to research for cancer, not just gynecological cancers, but throat cancers, lung cancers, bone cancers, all types of cancers. It's just that it takes, I believe, some time to get through these studies. And eventually, with commitment from the government who funds a lot of this stuff and some private sector companies, we can really focus on particular types of cancers, specifically cancers that affect our community. Great answer. One last question for me, Dr. and Jackie, feel free to follow up. Um, after someone who has gone through uterine cancer treatment, are there reasons why they need to keep going back to the doctor? What does post-treatment like look like? It depends on their treatment, all right? So if they have surgery and, you know, they everything is removed and they don't have any spread of any cancer, that may be it. That may be it. That may be all they have to do. I don't treat a lot of these patients, and I do defer to my oncology colleagues in this area, but if a patient has cancer and it has spread, they may subsequently need to have chemotherapy. This is medication that goes into your bloodstream to take care of cancers wherever they are, whether they're in your, the cells are in, in, in your heart, in your lungs, in your liver, this medication goes throughout. And what it sometimes does is causes fast growing cells to stop growing. We said that's what cancer is in the beginning. 
Well, some of the fastest growing cells in your body are on your hand. So you often see patients who go through this chemotherapy losing their hair. It grows right back because the cells grow so fast, but that's kind of what it can sometimes look like. You may have to be at home and not be able to go outside because it also causes your immune system to be decreased. So it can be a rough spell for a short period of time, but after you finish the chemotherapy regimen and the cancer cells that have spread are no longer visible, you can typically go back to a normal life routine. Two questions um, kind of on the subject of what we're talking about right now. First question is, um, how does treatment affect fertility? And then also, if I have uterine cancer and let's say I go through chemotherapy or, you know, I have surgery, um, is it possible to still get pregnant and have a child? Good question. So how does how does how does um, chemotherapy or do you have uterine cancer affect fertility? It ends it, unfortunately, because the organ that's necessary um, to I may be answering both questions at the same time. The organ that's necessary to have a baby must be removed if it's cancerous. Not only should that organ be removed, the ovary should be taken too. We don't want any spread that could potentially cause the cancer to continue to be present in the body. The ovaries are these small structures that release hormones and they are attached to the uterus. So they can, cancer can easily spread to the uterus. So what some patients do is they do egg conservation. They have eggs removed, they store them, they freeze them and use them in a future date with a potential surrogate or someone that could carry a pregnancy. But when you get a diagnosis of uterine cancer, it's important to also say that most women have that diagnosis postmenopausal after they're finished childbearing. So we don't really see that many women who have to have that done. I have had a patient recently diagnosed with cancer in her early 40s. She was a candidate to save her eggs. She opted not to, but those are the folks that would be offered egg conservation. But most women are at least 60 years old who are diagnosed with uterine cancer. That's really good information to know, because um, I was thinking um, that it could actually uh, hit a lot younger. So it's good to know that it is something that kind of happens a lot later. Um, you know, what are some things that I can do now as a woman to and any of the 365ers can do now um, as a woman to prevent um, uterine cancer? I know you mentioned earlier, you know, making sure that you're watching your weight. Um, are, are there other things that can be done? Take birth control pills. Something real, real easy. Take birth control pills. You know, one of the things that we know that causes an increased risk of uterine cancer is something that we call unopposed estrogen. Estrogen is a hormone that the ovaries release and it stops you from bleeding. Progesterone is a hormone that's released and it causes you to bleed. Both of these molecules are in birth control pills in a certain amount. So most women know this, that if you take a birth control pill every single day without stopping, you're gonna have a menstrual cycle, it's gonna come at a particular time, almost to the day, it's gonna last for a particular time, almost to the day, and then it's gonna go away. Well, there's hormones causing you to bleed causing you to get rid of those potentially abnormal cells during your menstrual cycle, 
cause him to come out, go onto a tampon, and be thrown into sea of forgetfulness, right? And your uterine lining rebuilds again the next month. So as long as you have that loss, that loss of bleeding, you reduce your risk of having those cells hang around. That's why I mentioned someone who's never been pregnant. They their their uterus doesn't go through those changes. Women who are postmenopausal, they don't bleed like that. So the act of having some bleeding can be preventative. In addition to getting rid of those cells that could potentially store that estrogen that we talked about. That's really good information to know. Like, I would have never thought that taking birth control could help prevent uterine cancer. Like, okay, let me find out it's got a few benefits. <laughs> it, right. it, can, it can do the same thing with ovarian as well. But one thing that, that, that folks may read in the literature or what they're looking up, Dr. Google, don't believe that, don't believe the hype. Look, so they say cigarette smoking reduces the risk of uterine cancer. But it causes lung cancer and, and all these other cancers. So you got to be careful with what you read. They do see that some patients who, studies have shown that some patients who smoke cigarettes have a lower risk of, of uterine cancer, but it causes other cancers to, to take place. And, and it's just not a good way to reduce the risk. So I, I want to debunk that theory right now. Don't start smoking to get rid of your, your uterine cancer risk because it's going to be bad. Thank you very much for debunking that because that sounds like some foolery. Like, seriously? That's great walkaway information. Doctor, <laughs> it has been a phenomenally, uh, very knowledgeable conversation. Um, a lot of insight here. If there's a few words that you want to leave for the listeners about this topic, what would that be? Take charge. Take charge. Don't let anyone tell you what you should do. This is your body. Is is I gave it to you to take care of while you're here. Do your best you can to take care of it. And if you don't know what you're doing, seek help. It doesn't matter whether it's a nurse, a doctor, physician assistant, a surgeon like myself. Just ask somebody a question. And whenever you get a question answered, that's one level of anxiety you can decrease. And the more questions you have answered, the more your anxiety decreases and the more you empower yourself to not just know what's going on with your body, but now you're capable and equipped to help others, just like Jackie mentioned earlier. Come on now, now. That was a sermon. You ain't just a doctor. Okay, let's Listen, go. Ahead. okay. <laughs> and that's your, what's your 365? 365ers take charge. I mean, I can't even come back up like... Somebody pass the pass the collection plate. Come on, Doctor That was real. Doctor, where can people find you? Um, where's your information? Where, where, where can you be located? Real quick, uh, I'm on I'm on TikTok at Doctor Fibroids. I'm on IG, Instagram at Doctor Fibroids. Um, you can Google um, Doctor Fibroids or Doctor Lawrence Stitt in Maryland. You'll see pages upon pages upon pages with my phone number. Please, please, please feel free to call. I listen. One of the most important things that I do is educate. I'm a surgeon. I do all the advanced surgeries that you can do in gynecology. But most importantly, I talk, listen, and educate. And I can personally say that I've been on the receiving end of that. Um, you know, I kind of mentioned earlier about my fibroid story. Um, and my both my grandmother and my mother both experiencing having fibroids. Um, and that's exactly what Dr. Stitt did for me. Um, he listened and he educated me. And um, I'm very thankful for that because he has given me so much peace when it comes to um, 
the the journey of fibroids. Um, again, I thankfully do not have them, but um, I know to kind of, you know, to what you were saying or, or what's our 365 as far as taking charge. After having that conversation with him, I was able to take charge and, and be an advocate for me and, and my body, which will, um, you know, help my, if I have kids, will help my kids and help generations to come. So um, Dr. Stitt, um, as always, and I can say this because we have talked a number of times on a number <laughs> of different things. Yep. Thank you so much, one, for, um, you know, just, just taking the time to talk, but then also just coming from a place of, of realness and actually caring because there's not a lot of people that do that. And as somebody who, you know, has been able to sit and talk to you and you actually like help me walk through some things, um, you know, with me and my body, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Definitely appreciate it. Well, 365ers, um, as always, if you have any questions, concerns, anything that you any anything that you want us to cover, hit us up on Instagram at Black Health365. Again, that is Black Health365. Um, we are always here to answer um any and all of your questions, especially this month, Women's History Month. Okay. Just gotta send a quick shout out to all the ladies because you know what we do, what we supposed to do when we supposed to do. And I said that, period. Britt, you got anything you want to say about uh, Women's History Month? Go ahead and drop it on us. <laughs> Moving peace and maintain. Period. Just say that we're phenomenal, okay? <laughs> phenomenal. Okay, we'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> Have a great day, 365ers. This is the Black Health 365 Podcast. I'm Jackie Page. And I'm Britt Daniels. Peace, namaste, and love. Black Health 365 is an Urban One and Reach Media production hosted by Jackie Page and Britt Daniels, created by Samuel Tatum and Laura Lopez, executive produced by Brittany Jackson and Kadisha Campbell, editing and production, Jahi Whitehead, sales and corporate sponsorship, Patty Johnson.